We're going to finish sort of um, our series called Keep It Real uh, in the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And I say sort of because we're probably, well, not probably, we're not going to get to chapter 5 before the end of the year. But in January, when we come back, uh, we're going to touch on just on James chapter 5. But so for the year, we're going to end um, our series, uh, James chapter 4, tonight. So as, as, you're, as you're turning there, what we're learning in James, what James is teaching us is that every relationship, and we know this, every relationship that you've ever had has made some kind of of impact on you. It's made some kind of mark on you. It's made some kind of impression on you and some more than others. But you know this to be true that like every connection with another human being that you've had makes some kind of oppression. And, and some of those relationships actually affect every part of our lives. So this week, um, I'm officiating a wedding for uh, Tanner and Becca who are in this community. In fact, fun fact, they met at the 710 retreat and, and they're getting married this week. So there you go. That, that might help some of you uh, push the needle on whether or not you go. But if I talked to them in like a month and I was like, hey, you know, you guys newly married, you've been married for a month, you know, how is it? And if they're like, what do you mean? How is what? I was like, well, you know, how's like life now? And they're like, no, life's the same. Totally the same. Nothing's changed. I'd be like, that's kind of weird. You guys might want to like, we might want to sit down and meet, you know, Jed, Jed and Whitney and Jed's going to lead us in just a while. They had a baby three months ago-ish and four months ago. Sorry, I'm not keeping track of how many months your baby is. Um, four, four months ago, right? And it's funny because Jed and I share an office here and, and, you know, I've got three young kids and so we talk all the time, but it's like, man, how like radically different life is like now that there's this new human that's that's in their life. I mean, if, if I was talking to Jed and I was like, hey man, how's it going, you know, with little baby Lila? How's, how's life? And he was like, Lila, Lila, I don't know. I mean, it's the same. Everything, nothing's changed. It's, it's totally the same. We just do the same thing. We don't, I'd be like, that's kind of weird. Are you sure? Like, are you sure you actually had a baby? Because like a baby, that relationship, that changes everything. So what James is trying to say is that there are relationships in your life that change and impact your life in dynamic ways. And we expect that, right? So we expect like, okay, they had a baby. That's going to change their life. You get married. That's going to change your life. If it doesn't, you'd look at it and be like, that's kind of odd. That's kind of strange, right? And it's the same with our relationship with God. This is, James, this is the point of what James is trying to make in this whole book. He's saying, look, if you've had an intersection with the holy God, if you have a relationship with the holy God, if you've met the Lord, that should impact your life. And it should be such a significant relationship that it should impact every part of your life. And James is saying, look, it's just weird if it doesn't. If you've entered into a dynamic relationship with the, with the author of all things, the, the one the scripture says, he holds the whole universe together by the power of his word. And for you, not much of your life changes. And you're like, I just kind of still do whatever I want. Yes, I've entered into a relationship with the Lord, but I still kind of do whatever I want. James is saying, that's odd. That doesn't make sense. That's been the point of everything that he's been saying in this book. Because it should change everything. If you've come to know God, it should change the way you talk. We talk James addresses the way that we talk. He said, look, if, if you're a follower of Jesus... If you've come to, into this relationship with God, 
It should change the way you talk. It should change the way that you treat, your poor, treat the poor. It should change the way that you handle money. It should change the way that you interact with people. And in this section, what he's going to say in this section tonight is that it should change the way that you make plans in your life. So let's, let's read this together. James chapter 4, 13 through 17. Listen to what James says. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his, excuse me, I'll read the right section here. How about that? Okay, James chapter 4, verse 13. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. He says, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Let's pray. Um, God, I just am so thankful for the book of James and God, just how um, it is so appropriate and quick, uh, God, to address just the, the fundamental things of our life. And God, just I love how practical it has been for, for me. And God, um, just how surgical it's been to address the things in my life, God, that, um, that do not make sense in light of a relationship with you. And so I just pray, God, and I ask once again, that by the power of your spirit, God, that you would apply your word to our hearts and our minds God, that it would change and transform our lives. I thank you, God, for just your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for your consistent stance towards those who are your children, God, that you're constantly for us. God, that you're working on our behalf even now, God, interceding on our behalf even now. So God, I just, I pray for your mercy. I'm I'm, uh, painfully aware of my need for that. God, I just pray for your mercy in these next few moments. And uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd come and I pray that you'd move freedom and that you'd do what only you can do. That you'd bring clarity and bring illumination um, and bring help to us tonight. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. So James, once again, is confronting this group of people. And some people, some scholars think that um, this section, he's actually writing it to Christian businessmen. And I think that's true, but I also think that it's a lot broader than that because he's saying, look, I'm confronting essentially anyone who would say, you know, today or tomorrow, I'm going to go to such and such a town and I'm going to spend a little bit of time there and I'm going to make a profit. And James saying, look, I'm going to confront you if that's the way that you talk, if that's the way that you think and, and you say that you're going to do those things. He says, look, if you're, if you're planning to travel today or tomorrow, if you plan on arriving and staying and that you're going to do something and that's going to have a certain result. In fact, he says, if you talk like that later in the text, he's going to say, you're arrogant and you're evil. He says, if you plan on going someplace and you plan on doing something and you think something is going to happen, he says, you're arrogant. So if you're here and you're like, okay, I'm going to go to ASU and I'm going to get a job and I'm going to make some money. James has an issue with you here tonight, which is weird, right? And even as we say that, it's kind of weird because we all make plans. And some of you, you make more plans than others, but we all make plans to some degrees. Like some of you, you're, you're planning on graduating, 
at least the theoretically. You're planning on graduating, right? And then you plan on getting a job, or you plan on buying a house, right? Or you plan on getting married, or you plan on asking someone out. Maybe even tonight, that's your plan. I'm, I'm going to ask somebody out, right? So we all make these plans. But it sounds like, if you read this passage, you're like, it sounds like James has an issue with us if we do. So what are we supposed to do? Is, like, are we not supposed to plan? I mean, is James against planning? I don't think he is. Is he against success? Is he against profit? Is James like anti-profit? And I don't think he's anti-profit either. I think what James is upset about and what he's accusing of, uh, of being arrogant is not so much what we say we would rise up to do. He has an issue with how we talk about the things that we're going to do. And he says, look, it's not even just that the way that you talk about the things that you're going to do. What James is really trying to address is the same thing that he's been addressing with all these different topics. He says, like, James, James says, I have an issue with the perspective that you have about these planning. He, he, he says, I got an issue with you if you say, look, I'm going to go someplace. I'm going to do something. I'm going to make some money. And, and James is saying, look, that is the kind of talk that comes out of a mouth and from the mind that has failed to do two things. James says, I have an issue with you because you have failed to take into account a true view of your life. You don't have a true view of what your life is, and you failed to take into account a true view of God. So he's saying, look, if you're stepping out there and you're saying, I'm going to do something, I'm going to go someplace, I'm going to do something, I'm going to have a result. He's like, look, you're being arrogant because you haven't done what we've seen in verse 14. So look at verse 14 again. James says, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a, a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. He says, look in verse 14, he says, you don't have a true view of your life. You don't have a clear picture of what your life re it really is. And then in verse 15, um, he, he, says, he says, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and we'll do this or that. He's saying you don't have a true view of God in relation to the plans that you're making. So those are the two basic premises that James is kind of coming at us with. He's like, look, you are, you're arrogant because you don't have a true view of your life. And you're arrogant because you don't have a true view of who God is. Our, 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 and he says, look, your first failure is you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. You, you do not see yourself rightly, and part of seeing yourself rightly is to understand that you're limited. You're limited. You're limited in your knowledge. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and that's totally true. We all, we all know that, at least cognitively, we all know that. For, for some of you, tomorrow, you could walk out of your house, walk out of your apartment, whatever, and you could walk down the street or walk out, you know, walk into the parking lot or whatever, and you could, you could meet the one. The one, the one that you've been dreaming of, the one who is like perfect, the one you've been praying about, the one you have journaled about, the one you've thought about, like, like the one, that's the one you're going to marry, that's the one you're going to have kids, you're going to have the house, you're going to do the whole thing. You, you don't even know. Tomorrow, could, that could be the day, the day you've been waiting for, you finally meet the one. That could, it could happen. Or you could get hit by a bus. You have no idea. Like we are, those are the two options for tomorrow. So... So he's, say, he's saying, look, you just don't, you don't know. You're limited. So you, you, if you think that tomorrow is going to be just like today, and, and, and for you to be arrogant enough to think that life is just going to go the way that you think it is and that it's going to go, you fail to take into account the fact that, look, you just don't 
No. And, and really, that's not even James' biggest problem w- with us in the, in the way that we see ourselves because he's really building to the next issue. issue. He's really saying, like, one big question, and the, and the subject of his question is you. He's like, he's like, this is a paraphrase. He's like, look, come now, the ones who make these plans but really have no idea on earth what you're talking about. What kind of life do you have anyway? That's the, that's the question that James is, is getting at. He says, before you start making plans, before you start kind of dreaming about your future and before you start making all these proclamations about what your life is going to be about, he said, just stop for a moment and contemplate the quality of your life. He says, you're like a, a mist. You know those like spray things you spray in your nose so you can breathe again? You're like just going like, and it's just like that. Or you just like light a match. Like what happens, you just light a match and then you like blow it out real quick, right? If you're lighting a candle like the ones on a deal. Right? And what happens? There's like a little bit of smoke and then it's gone. James says, that's you. That's, that's, that's your life. You, you, you come into the light for a second and then, and then you're gone. It vanishes. And so he says, look, before you start making plans, you're going to plan wrong if you don't take into account the fact that you really are not here that long. He's like, you don't last long. You're, you're fragile. You have to keep that in mind as you're making plans. And that is a reality, right? But it's not a reality that many of us think of. We all know because we're, we've stopped to actually talk about it for a moment here. But we don't really think about just kind of how fast our, move, our life moves and how quickly these seasons just kind of end for us. Like we have these seasons of our life and then they're just kind of over. So um, when, I was in, when I was in high school, I went to a school in Florida called Countryside High and our uh, mascot, we were the Countryside Cougars. Go Cougars. And when I was a junior in high school, we had this competition called the Mr. Cougar Contest, right? And um, I don't think they had a Miss Cougar Contest because so, the late 90s were just, we were, there was a confusing time for everybody. But they, we, had a mis, we had a Mr. Cougar Contest. And when I was a junior, I won the Mr. Cougar Contest, which you're probably not surprised by at all. And when I won, I was up on stage in front of the whole school, Mr. Cougar, and they gave me this like sash, like Miss America kind of sash thing. And it was maroon and had gold glitter that said Mr. Cougar. <laughs> And someone in Home Ec made it, and it was great. Now, because I'm a big, huge dork, I wore that thing, like, the whole next day around school. And I'm, like, high-fiving people, person, one person, <laughs> high-five me. And I wore that thing around, and I was like, I'm Mr. Cougar. Now, if I was still wearing that, like, if I had that on tonight, and they're like, what, who is this guy? That's so weird. Mr. Cougar, that's, that's, that seems really awkward. Um, you got me, like, that's, that's kind of bad, right? But, like, at the moment, that was huge. I, my, my parents still live in Florida. I talk to them at least once a week. And almost every time I'm on the phone with them, they're like, so, hey, son, we got this box of your wrestling trophies from high school. You know, do you want us to send that to you? Are you going to drive out here and get them? Are you, are you going to fly and get them? Like, what are we going to do with all these wrestling trophies? I'm like, why, are, why haven't you incinerated them? Like, I, what am I going to do with those? I, I, it doesn't matter anymore. Now, for some of you, this is really painful talking about, like, what you were in high school, <laughs> and you're still kind of trying to deal with that, but, um, but, but we, ha- we recognize, like, really, like, okay, well, I, yeah, I built something of a life in this season, 
and now it's different. Some, some of you that, you know, you're out of college now and you've kind of realized, man, my, my social network, like I'm talking actual people, not online, like is, is smaller. It's smaller than it was. When uh, my fifth year of being a senior in college, I just remember I was like, I was like, man, everybody around me, they're all like kids now. I was still acting like a kid, but like, I was like, they're all kids. And I just, rem- I remember just kind of looking around and be like, everything has changed. Like what happened to this season of my life? And what James is trying to get us to realize is like, look, you have to realize the fragility of these different seasons of your life and also your life itself because things fade and change. That's a reality of life. Now, you're all like kind of mid-20s or or on your way to 20s, and so it doesn't really register right now. But if you take some time to like maybe find some of the people in the room who are a little bit older, like they'll tell you the story. Oh yeah, by the way, things really fade, things really change. But what happens to a lot of us is that we just lose perspective on how things do fade and things do change. We get so fixed on what we're going to do, we don't even stop to think about the transient nature of our life. Because for a lot of you, you're thrilled. You, thr- you got into college, you're thrilled. And, and we, you pick a major eventually, right? And then you get a job and then you make money and then you can get married and you buy a house and you have kids, you can go on vacation. And then those kids can get an education and then those kids can get married and they can buy a house and then they can have kids and those kids can have an education. And those kids can buy a house and then those kids can, can get, get married and, they can, and it goes on and on and on. And we kind of just get it stuck in this rut. We think like, well, that's what life is. I just have to keep that kind of cycle going. And what James is trying to say is like, look, you guys just need to hold on because you're all going to die. Yeah, that's what he says. And what he's trying to get us to do is not just like be bummed out, although it does sound like that a lot in James. Um, He says, look, you need to ask yourself the question about your life. What is the point? Because some of us, we get locked into this narrow little world in this small little view of life, and we miss out what life is all about. And what James is trying to help us with and trying to really protect us from is saying, look, don't do that. Don't start making all of your plans for your life without stopping to think for a minute that, look, I'm not really going to be here long. Because if you do that, there's a good chance that you will miss out on what life is, is really about. Jonathan Edwards, who is this brilliant mind, theologian, um, when he was in his 20s, so when he was around your age, He wrote his resolution, and his resolution said this, I resolve to think often of my death and the common circumstances that attend death. The the Puritan writers, often they would have this phrase that they would use that said, look unto your death, which they weren't like all like morbid weirdos. They were just saying, look, be mindful that we are but dust, that we are this mist, that we are this vapor that the scripture talks about, that we are fragile. In fact, the Puritans in American towns, what they would do is they would put the cemetery right in the middle of the town. And so whenever, wherever, and whenever you went around town, you were constantly seeing the headstones of your friends and family. You were constantly reminded of, okay, we, life is, life is short. Now in our town, we don't even know where the cemetery is. We know where the mall is. We know where Target is. We don't even know where the cemetery is. We know, we know where, the, where all the things that we can consume 
and all the things that we can buy that'll make us forget about life or make us think that, okay, this is actually going to make your life or make you satisfied. We know where all that stuff is, but we don't know where the cemetery is. But, but what, James is trying to, what James is trying to remind us of is, look, and he's not just saying, look, you guys need to obsess about death. He's saying, look, I want you to think about your death so it will impact how you live. And it's not morbid because it's good to think about the end of your life and it's good to think about that so that you live in such a way where you live with the end in mind. And James, by the way, he gets this idea from his brother Jesus who tells the story in Luke chapter 12 and he tells the story of this guy who was really successful. In fact, he was so successful that he had to build more uh, barns that he could put all of his grain in. He had to essentially build more storage units for his stuff and for his wealth. And Jesus is telling him about the story, and he says, the Lord comes to him and says, you fool, your very soul will be required of you tonight. And what James is saying, look, some of you, you're chasing something so small and so narrow that if you died tonight, you'd be a fool. Because you've missed so much of what life is about. James says, don't do that. Don't make plans without keeping in mind that you won't be here long. He says, let that reality inform what you prioritize. Now, if we just stop there with this talk, um, it would not be a distinctively Christian message. Because honestly, anybody could say this. I'm, I'm sure there's books and there's movies and there's other things that are kind of have this same message. So it's not a distinctively Christian message. But James isn't done here because in verse 15, he says, what you ought to say is if the Lord wills, we will live and do this and that. So he says, first you need to see yourself rightly. You're a mist, you're a vapor, you're fragile. The death rate is still one for one, right? But he says, secondly, you need to see God rightly and you need to know two things about him. One, it's the Lord who wills and it's his will that determines whether or not we live. So God determines if I live. It's his determination if I continue to exist. James says, let those two realities set in. Let those two realities guide and dictate your life. Not just whether or not I live, but whether or not I will do this or that. He says, the Lord determines whether or not you exist, and he determines what you will do while you exist. So if you have plans of something that you're going to accomplish, you accomplish that, James is telling us, because of God's will, if he allows you to do that. You don't have enough control to determine the outcome. And it's good to remember that we are alive because God wants us to be, and we do what he wants us to do. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, He is before all things, and in him all things are hold together. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, you can write these verses down. He says, he is the radiance, this is speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe. Some versions will say he holds everything together by the word of his power. And so what James is trying to help us with, he's saying, look, if you're not putting God into the equation of what you want to do in life, He said, you're boasting in your arrogance. And all of that boasting is evil. Now, it's terrible to sit around and think about dying. But it's good to remember that we all will. And if that's true, it's good for us to think about what is the meaning 
of my life all about? Is there, is there a bigger meaning to my life? And James says, yes, there is. He says, if the Lord wills, you'll live and you'll do this or that. Now, even that doesn't sound that great. Like if, just, if you're just kind of reading that, if you're just kind of hearing that, you're like, so really, like that, that's just it? Because that actually sounds pretty terrible. Because it sounds pretty oppressive, right? I'm the only one who thinks that, right, when you read that. Like that just sounds, that just sounds oppressive. But the beautiful truth is that James doesn't just say generically, God determines. What he, he makes it personal because James says, the Lord determines who will live and who will do this or that. And what James is doing is he points to this name that he gives us at the beginning of the book, and he says, the, the Lord is the person, Jesus Christ. And the answer that I hope you won't miss is that there is a Lord that causes your molecules to, to keep from flying apart and who runs the whole universe, the scripture says, by the power of his word. That is, that's Jesus He's the one who determines what you do, and he'll determine when you cease to do anything. And that can sound like really bad news until you grab the idea that the Lord is a really great leader. It sounds oppressive to think that someone else is going to control my life, and I don't have any say on where I, where I go or what I do. That does. That can sound really rough. But it, it doesn't sound awful when you understand that the one who is guiding and directing and leading you and the one who determines whether you live or not or what you do is the same one who stands up for you and who stood up for you. He didn't just risk his life for you. He gave his life for you. James is saying that is the one who determines. That is the one who you follow, the Lord Jesus Christ, who didn't just reign up in heaven and watch from afar this mess that we are making of creation and this mess that we are making of ourselves, but he actually stepped into our mess and our problems. That's what this Advent season is all about. He took the very form of man and he said, look, there's a mission on this planet that's way bigger than just making money or way bigger than personal success or way bigger than fame, way bigger than stuff. The mission is against all this sin, all this darkness, all this brokenness that is corrupting you and destroying your life. And the mission is to see that push back and to see the kingdom of God push forward. And he didn't just say, now you guys go do it. Just go out there and try harder, do better and, and try to make it all better. Listen to what he says. He says, follow me. Follow me. He's not saying, look, there's a bunch of heavy lifting that you guys have to do. There's a bunch of work that you guys have to do to get your act together and clean all of this stuff up. I think it's just so insane that we who are humans who have made such a mess of things think that we are the same ones who can set things right. Jesus says, it's me. Just follow me. Because he is the one who stepped out towards the enemy, out towards sin, out towards death, and he took all the penalty of our rebellion and our treason, and he took our sickness onto himself, and he died for it. And the scripture tells us that he rose from the dead, and he said, look, I have defeated the grave, and now I'm calling others to join me, forsake their sin, forsake, forsake their own rebellion, and through me come to a right relationship with God. And he invites those who are his children to follow him, and on that path, there might be pain, but there'll be no more pain than what Jesus endured. And that path ultimately has our best interests involved. 
and the great mission in mind, the mission of a broken world, a broken creation, a broken people who are put back together, reconciled in King Jesus. And James says, that's who you are following. That's who determines what you will or will not do, whether you live or whether you don't live. The Lord who wills is not just some random deity who is completely disconnected from us. It's the Lord who came and lived and died for our rescue and will bring us into glory with him. Now, if you're in the room, um, and I know there's people like this, and, and, and you don't know him, at least you don't know him in this way, the reason you exist is that you were made by him, you're made for him. And maybe even tonight, maybe even tonight is a, is a time in your life when you cry out to him, when you call out to him, you might enter into relationship with him and that you would walk with him for a lifetime. But the rest, what, for the rest of us, what we're learning from James, what we hear in this section is, look, make your plans. Get your degree. Get your job. Get engaged. Get married. But say, look, if the Lord wills, I'll do this. If the Lord wills, I'll live. And center your life around that reality. I'm going to pray, but I want to kind of give you a challenge um, just for this week. Because if, if you consider, like, this truth that James is laying out for us, in your life this week, what do you need to take a step back and look at and commit to God? There are things in your life that you've made plans for, and you, in that planning and in those dreams and in that steps and wherever you are kind of in the process, you haven't once um, considered, okay, God, how do how does this become yours? Like, how, how, how do I ask what is your will to be done in, in this? And so this, this week, just that's kind of the challenge. It's kind of homework for you. Is just take that and say, okay, what, what in my life, what plans do I need to commit to the Lord? And, and not just commit, but submit to him and to his perfect will and his perfect plan. Let me pray for us. And uh, guys will come and lead us in worship. God, thank you again for James, and um, God, it's just so incredibly um, poignant, but yet also very helpful, and um, God, your word is meant to guide us in freedom, and messages like tonight, God, that they, if looked at from the wrong perspective, God, cannot feel like freedom. They can feel, in fact, kind of the opposite of freedom, Um, but God, your truth is a truth that does set us free. It sets us free from our own um, self-sufficiency and got our own self-interests and got our own self-centeredness. And so um, I pray for that freedom. I pray for that freedom in my own life. I pray for that freedom in our community. And um, God, I pray that what James is laying out for us would be, would be a reality that we'd walk in, be a truth that we'd walk in. God, now as we take this time just to lift our voices to you, um, God, would be songs that we sing be both proclamation and prayer tonight. Um, Jesus, we, we lift up your name, make much of you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay.